This is Fullness of Life, discussing topics important to your life of faith and ways to grow in a life of grace. Join us each month as we inspire listeners to a deeper relationship with the Lord to live His fullness of life. Now, here's your host, Letty Medina. Hello, welcome back to this month's program, Fullness of Life, on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. This month, I am delighted to have Dr. Linda Corey in the studio with me. She is the Director of Lay Ministry and Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care and Counseling at the University of St. Mary of the Lake in Mundelein, Illinois. She has an amazing story to share about how the Lord led her from being a pro-choice advocate who worked at Planned Parenthood to becoming a pro-life advocate who works at a Catholic seminary. Welcome, Linda. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here, Letty. I, I've been wanting to get you on the air because I heard your story um, once before, and it really touched me. And so I think it's a, a beautiful way to, again, share how people's hearts can change over time when they start understanding a little bit more about the reality of what abortion is all about. So why don't we begin at the very beginning of your story? Can you share a little bit about your background and how you were raised? Yeah, I think that it's it's always good to start with where people come from, and especially my religious context. So I was brought up in a lukewarm Catholic family. We didn't We went to Mass occasionally, but not all the time. But I think what's important about it is, even though it was um, a lukewarm Catholic family, cafeteria Catholic, if you will, nonetheless, I grew up with an idea of God. Yes. I I grew up with an idea that there was other besides me. I have so many friends right now that have just been brought up in secular, um, a really secular um, home, good home, but nonetheless, without this idea that there is other. So I was my my brain was conditioned to believe. And so even though we didn't have a lot of the accoutrements of the, the Catholic life, um, nonetheless, I believed that God was there and I believed that he existed and I felt like he loved me. And I went to Catholic high school. And so it was just, I believed in God. It was just sort of the water I swam in. Um, but I didn't really think much about God unless I had some sort of big problem going on with a boyfriend or something that I'd find myself praying. But yep. <laughs> nonetheless, I, I just my my life didn't revolve around my um, around my faith. And when I went away to college, at least in in my experience, I was exposed to a lot of things like I don't know Friedrich Nietzsche and a lot of um, other kinds of philosophical writings to, to question the existence of of God yes. as a as a concept and as I kind of took on this as I kind of took on this intellectual exploration I found myself toying with the idea of atheism because it seemed logical to me but I didn't I didn't like the idea of it but it seemed logical and then atheism didn't make a whole lot of sense either so after a while I just kind of gave up the whole big god question and I became non-committal agnostic. Well, and I think part of your story um, ties into the fact that at that time of life, we are easily influenced by the people we meet, right? And there was a boy, wasn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> there was there was a very significant boy and he just, he started, I fell in love with him and he started asking me all the questions about why I believed what I did. And I was being exposed to professors and a whole bunch of different um, literature. Yes. And so I hadn't I hadn't ever been in a situation around people who didn't believe. And so it was a new idea and I was trying it out. And I suppose in some ways too, one of the other things that I was really exposed to at this time was a whole different mindset as well. So during this time, because I had this 
uh, wonderfully intelligent atheist boyfriend that I was in love with, I had also decided um, that it was a good time for me to go on birth control. And so I went to Planned Parenthood. And I think that this is a this is a hugely important piece because this was going to be my first gynecological exam, yep. which is a vulnerable moment in yes. a woman's life. Mm -hmm. And I went there and, and these women were really kind and took really good care of me. And they were the first women to really talk to me about my body and respecting my body and taking care of my body. Now, their their perspective is the way to take care of your body is to be safe yes. from getting any sort of um, STIs and um, sexually transmitted infections or by not um, letting yourself get pregnant. Right. So I found myself really kind of drawn into this, um, for lack of a better term, kind of Planned Parenthood mindset because these were the women that took care of me. Yes. So here I was, this is between about 18 and I'd say 25 years old. And sort of the things that surrounded me were a lot of um, academic professors who um, I was learning a lot of different perspectives on, on how to approach existential questions from. I was um, really indoctrinated into this this mindset, a lot of it including really good intentions on my part. So I've always been a very compassionate person, a very driven person, yes. and a very passionate person. And during this time, in my mind, what I valued above all else was freedom. Freedom was a number one to me. And at, at this point, I saw anything that inhibited freedom as being as being evil sure. and being bad. And so Christianity, Catholicism in particular, seemed to be about the most restricted place. I saw it as being anti-intellectual. I saw it as being shallow, naive, not in touch with the real world. I saw it as being prejudicial. Mm -hmm. And I wanted nothing to do with the church. It just seemed like an insane place to even try to inhabit. And that's one of the things I think about a lot is how interesting it is that those are those are good intentions. It's it's good to be compassionate and it's good to value freedom. But I think the question is is where do those good intentions end up leading us um, into the wrong direction? Sure. So Linda, in prior talks that I've heard you give, um, you've categorized mindsets as being either liberal or conservative. Can you kind of delve a little deeper into that? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, this is a lot of. Um, reading, based on a lot of reading I've done from Jonathan Haidt in a book he wrote called The Righteous Mind. And it's the idea that there can be considered to be two different kinds of temperaments or value mindsets, if you will. And he categorizes them as liberal and conservative, although those tend to be loaded terms because yes. people end up thinking that's how you vote and, you know, are you Trump or Hillary or whatever right. it was at the time. So I, I don't think that those terms are useful, but at least for the sake of our conversation now and the way Jonathan Haidt approaches it, is that there tends to be two different temperament styles. Um, the more, quote, liberal temperament simply tends to prefer compassion to standards. That's simply it. Like, And, and I have to say, in terms of a mindset, not how I vote, etc., <laughs> no politics involved here, as a mindset... I, I tend to go first for compassion, yes. which is I meet the person, where's the person at, what's the most compassionate response. That just tends to be my knee-jerk sure. reaction. 
and uh, I sometimes put my my husband up as a straw man here, but it tends to be true. He ha he has a more conservative temperament, which I would say that at first when he encounters something in the world, he he first looks at the standard to see what the standard is, and then he works into the person. Now, both are needed. For sure. Both are alert to certain threats. One must always be compassionate and meet people where they're at. But um, uh, Bishop Chaput says it's, it's perfectly fine to, you know, meet somebody where they're at and walk with them, but you don't, you know, you don't walk them off a cliff. You right. need to be walking them toward somewhere. So you're in accompanying somebody, you're accompanying them to a place, to truth, to a standard. You're not just accompanying them ad infinitum exactly to no place but at the same time if you if you start from the standard and, and you don't realize the idiosyncrasies or the context of where the person's coming from that then you're not really incarnating the truth in in, in terms of the complexity of the human reality so there's yeah. there's an answer in between both but i would say both are alert to certain threats and and the threat that i was not aware of at all was that to only approach things from compassion can well, the expression is you know the road the road to hell is paved with good intentions and if you don't have any objective standards on the other side you're just swimming around um, in in the midst of a, a relativistic world that can lead you anywhere and my my reflections on this in terms of specifically what led me to work to to work at Planned Parenthood is it truly and absolutely was compassion yes. That led me to work for Planned Parenthood. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I think it's important to say that I took I took a pay cut to work at Planned Parenthood. That was how much I believed in the mission. Yes. I really saw it as being the most compassionate, important thing to do for women and for the sake of freedom and for the sake of, of everything that I valued and everything that I believed in. So one of the ways that I, I analyze this is to say everybody who has a more... Um, knee-jerk response to compassion must always work on bringing themselves to a standard and those people who have kind of a more knee-jerk reaction to stand you know to, to the standard first must work themselves back to the person yeah so there's that complementarity there i love that that's a very beautiful balanced way to look at those issues i think it's also important because then when people begin to recognize what their gifts are which maybe I just have the gift of immediately feeling compassion for people, mm -hmm. that I also need to do the work. You know, we're here after the fall, so right. I'm not perfect. Right. And I need to do the hard work of working myself towards some objective standards, which is, of course, a lot of my conversion story and why I became Catholic. So I found the objective standards uh, that the Catholic Church presented as being, well, true. Exactly. And you know what I, I want to insert here is that um, I've gotten up in front of my parish and in, other, in front of other groups of people, and I've shared that I used to also be pro-choice when I was a young woman because I didn't understand the issue. Right. And once I began, once I had my own conversion and I be, uh, began to study and read more about why does the church teach that this is not okay, it made sense to me. Right. The facts made sense to me when I understood the facts. Right. And I didn't understand them at all either. And the fact is, is it's complex. It is. It's very complex. So having to, to deal with the issues that surround pregnancy and contraception and abortion and a woman's body, these are complex issues. It's not simple. No. I mean, as somebody who's pro-life, what's simple is that it's the taking of a life. That, that piece is simple. But all the other issues surrounding it are very, very, very complicated. Yes. And need to be, need to be dealt with 
said carefully, very sensitively. Yes. Uh, extremely important to emphasize that. I agree. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I want to emphasize again on this, this show called fullness of life, right? That, that the church and Jesus Christ offer fullness of life. If we take the time to study the truths that underlie the faith, because again, who is truth? Jesus is truth. Right. He is the way, the truth and the life. And, um, we have to know our faith to be able to live our faith. Right. 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 And so it's about being patient with accompanying people along the journey of faith and letting them come to the point of understanding these very complex truths at times in their own time and loving them through that and not judging them and not, you know, um, really, really walking with them and letting the Lord work. And I think that these truths in some ways, the truths that the church that the church brings to us, in some ways they're quite simple because they're truth. But what's complex is how do you apply these truths to people's lives? So the really hard work, the really hard roll up your sleeves work is how do you take these truths, which are a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. We have the full deposit of the faith. And how do we make this transferable this is hard business to do. It is. And it is not for the lighthearted. I do teach at Mundelein Seminary, and many of the conversations that I have with the men preparing for the priesthood, which is in the light of this beautiful truth that we've been given, how do we bring this to people who really literally don't know it? Yes. And you can't, uh, St. Paul talks about the idea that you, know, you, you, you can't feed a child meat, you must feed them milk. And that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of patience. Yes. But just having, just having the truth isn't enough. Francis Cardinal George, I remember him saying this to me back when, back when I was working with him more directly. He said, you know, it's not enough to be right, Linda, you also have to be effective. Mm. And I, and I hold that to be true. And the being effective part is the hard part. The being right part's the easy part. It's easy, right? <laughs> but it's the being effective part, and and it can be it can be really confusing waters to navigate. And that's why I like to tell my story because how did I end up being Catholic? I'm like the poster child for not being Catholic. Right. I was not just pro-choice. I was like miss pro-choice, like like in the newspaper pro-choice, like all about being pro-choice, like. Wearing the condoms are cool t-shirts all the time. <laughs> I was the sex lady okay. that would go into the high schools. Oh, interesting. So that was... And how long did you work for Planned Parenthood? I only worked... I was only a bona fide employee for a little bit over a year. But I had been involved in volunteer work for many, many years okay. prior to that. And was just involved with the organization in many ways. But in terms of being an actual paid employee, I was only there for... A year in that capacity. Okay. Are you ready to share the story of your own personal experience with having to make a choice yourself? Yeah, sure. So it kind of goes along with my whole lifestyle at the time. So I had moved from my first boyfriend and I had a, I had a new boyfriend. He's about 23 years old at this time. And I was very distressed. One, I was very distressed because not only was I uh, miss, miss pro-choice, I was miss pro-contraception and contraception 
failed me, mm -hmm. which is a whole other conversation, really. But anyway, I found myself pregnant, and I had decided that the responsible thing to do would be to to have the child. I I knew that I I had chosen to have sex, and I wanted to carry through with the pregnancy. So I went to public aid. I didn't have insurance at the time and set myself up. And I, I think it's important to let people know that my situation really supported me having the child. I I wouldn't have been rejected by my by my social group. I mean I hung out at coffee shops and talked about <laughs> existential philosophers and if I was an unmarried woman pregnant nobody would have cared. <laughs> would have been fine. My parents would have been annoyed, but they wouldn't have kicked me out of the family. Yeah. I had the resources that I needed. But in the meantime, I didn't, I didn't want to be pregnant. I, I certainly had no intention of wanting to marry this boyfriend that I had. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember, this, this, is, this, this is interesting to me as well, that when I told him I was pregnant, he was very kind, my boyfriend, and he said, well, whatever your choice is, I'll support you. And, and I, I know that he meant it to be good, and he meant it. He would have. Um, but it also made me feel really alone because it's like it's just my choice. Children are so, um, so costly, not just financially, but, but, but in every single way. Yes. So an unwanted pregnancy is, is no small thing, and I, I felt so stressed, and I knew it was the right thing to do, not because of religious reasons, but because I, I wasn't, I wasn't ever into the idea of saying that a pregnancy um, wasn't wasn't a life. That always seemed like the stupidest intellectual argument to me. I'm like, yes, it's a life, no matter how little it is, it's a life. Right. But nonetheless, my my pro-choice stance came from the idea that sometimes it was a necessary sacrifice to sacrifice that life for the sake of other freedoms, such as the freedom of of women and the freedom of choice. That was how I justified it in my mind, but in, within my own body and within my own mind, this this was a person growing inside of me. But nonetheless, I was so stressed out, like I couldn't sleep. I, I, I couldn't sleep. It was it was as if cortisol was pumped into my system from my head to my toes. That's a stress hormone, and. Mm -hmm. But I was going to do it, I was going to do it, I was bare knuckling it, I was going to do it, I was going to do it, I was going to do it. And then one day, I was waiting tables at the time, so stressed out, and I was standing there and it suddenly struck me that I could have an abortion. And to be completely honest, Letty, at that moment, I felt all the stress just leave my body. It's like I, I could breathe yes. for the first time in in weeks and it felt so good I remember looking around and like I felt like myself again or I, I felt like sane and it, it felt so good that it, it verged on feeling right yes can imagine well Linda hold that thought <laughs> because um, it's time for a commercial break and I, it's like at uh, one of those shows where you're, you're at the cliffhanger <laughs> So we're going to take a two-minute break, but okay. don't go away, and we'll be right back with the next part of Linda's story.
Welcome back to Fullness of Life. I'm your host, Letty Medina. And if you're just tuning in, I've been talking with my guest, Linda Corey, who is sharing her own personal witness of living a life as a pro-choice woman, and then slowly over time, learning maybe the other side of the story. Yeah. Linda. So um, I was talking about how stressed I was when I had found myself in an unwanted pregnancy. And the moment when I realized in the midst of this high stress that I could, I could have an abortion and the relief that this provided and indeed how it, it felt so good to be able to breathe again after being under so much stress that it verged on feeling right. But since I had never played around with the game that it wasn't a baby inside of me and I felt like it was a baby growing inside of me, it was my baby, um, I had this conflict of the, the relief that I felt coupled with what about the baby? And as I, as I asked myself, what about the baby? This thing happened where I just decided not to listen to that voice anymore. I just turned it off, mm -hmm. click off. Yep. And I just didn't ask myself again. And I just let myself feel the relief. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, that's, that's the definition of what sin is, right? It's yes. Like, I want it my way and I want it now. It's how Dennis Fees, who works, Father Dennis Fees at the seminary talks about it. And I think it's so simple and so true. I want it my way and I want it now. Yeah. And we'll shut off any other voice that sin, like every other sin, it's just how sin works. Yes. So I, I remember leaving and going to my, my best friend's house, her name was Melanie, and running to her and saying, Melanie, I can have an abortion. And she was like, yeah, and I'll, I'll help you through it. Yep. And I did, and I had an abortion. And and I have to tell you that I, I literally felt nothing, no regret, no anything for 11 years. I mean, it was as, as if it didn't happen. Right. And that's that's one of the most important pieces, I think, to look at, which is how we can just tuck things away for a long, long time. And I, I, bring, I bring up my my choice to have an abortion because I think it's it's relevant in terms of working at Planned Parenthood because deep inside of me it was something I wasn't proud of. It wasn't anything I was going to announce. I mean, I was perfectly fine with wearing a condoms are cool t-shirt, but I wasn't going to wear an abortion is awesome t-shirt, you know? Yeah. And um, so I tucked it I tucked it away and for every woman, I think it's, I can't say for everyone, but I would say for most women, it's a, it's an uncomfortable and a painful experience to end a pregnancy by your own, by your own choice. I think that working for Planned Parenthood and being a part of the Planned Parenthood mindset allowed me to be surrounded by women who just were like, it's okay, it's okay, you had an abortion, it's okay, it's okay. It, it helped to keep the abortion at bay. Yes. And... I kind of can't blame myself for that in some ways. I mean, I blame myself, but I can understand how helpful it is to surround yourself with people that are just saying, it's okay, you yes. didn't do anything wrong. And I think working at Planned Parenthood helps. You throw yourself behind an important mission, what you see as being an important mission. And some of the elements of it are important. Women and women's health is important. I don't think anybody would deny that. Yeah. And throw you throw yourself behind this cause, and then you kind of fold in your own wounds and your own stuff and 
you're kind of just taken up by a community of people who does care about you. And that's why I like to include that as we, as pro-life people, approach pro-choice people to understand that Planned Parenthood is just literally fueled by millions of women who have had abortions. Yep. And it makes sense. And it makes sense. It does. And it helps to tuck it away because you don't, you don't have to look at what you've done. Or if you do, you have people that tell you it's okay. So all of it just gets folded up. And then the, the pregnancy, because you can't separate women from pregnancy. Right. It just, it all comes together. So once again, to what you were saying earlier, like the idea of separating out and and dealing with the, the hard parts, the complexities of unwanted pregnancies is important. So in the, in the midst of this, while I was post-abortive, working at Planned Parenthood, absolutely fine. Like I just, I didn't have any conflict with having had an abortion. It just was neatly tucked away and folded up into a little envelope deep, deep, deep inside my cavernous brain. Mm -hmm. But as I was working there, I was the only licensed clinical social worker that worked there at the time. Mm -hmm. So I would get called down to do some counseling, and this was for the girls that would just find out they were pregnant. Okay. Which, mind you, is like the biggest moment. Shocking. Shocking. You're like, I hope I'm not. I mean, because I have to tell you, 99.9% of the people are like, I hope I'm not. Of course. And there was a 16-year-old girl that was sitting there with me, and she had just found out she was pregnant. Beautiful girl. And I went through the the options with her, and I said, you know, you have three options. One is you can you can go through with the pregnancy and give up the baby for adoption, and we'll help you with that. It'll be hard, but we'll help you with that because it was true. We were mm-hmm. we we really helped people through this process at Planned Parenthood. And secondly, you can go through with the pregnancy, keep the baby, and you know we have a prenatal clinic here. There was a prenatal clinic there. I did not know that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, it was a prenatal clinic on Wednesdays. And we were the only ones that served Medicaid in the area. The Catholic hospital wouldn't take Medicaid at the time. Wow. So that kind of fed mm-hmm. my, my sentiments. Sure. So we at Planned Parenthood took the hardest cases, the girls under Medicaid, and it was a prenatal clinic on Wednesdays. And on Saturdays, it was an abortion clinic. We would just take down the baby pictures, Velcro them off the wall, and put up an Ansel Adams landscape. How interesting. Yeah. So all of, we, we really did take very, very good care and gave wonderful prenatal care to the girls that did want their pregnancy so to, to follow through with their pregnancy. Okay. So I felt confident in that. But then I would say, I said to the girl, and your other option is to have an abortion. And I, I think it's also very important. It's, it's hard for me to say, but it's, it's absolutely accurate that at the time, I completely believed abortion was the best option. I mean, I really did. Yes. I had no conflicts. I was like, this is going to be hard. You know, abortion is going to get rid of the problem because it, it did for me. Yeah, absolutely. So that was your lived experience. That was my lived experience. And I was like, oh, giving up the baby for adoption, that's going to be hard. And like, mm-hmm. why not just get rid of the problem? Right. I mean, we all function from our own woundedness. Everybody yes. does. So yes, this, do. this, this wound had not been healed. So I was speaking from my wound. And to what degree I'm culpable or not um, is hard to say. I've been to confession for it, though. Yeah. But nonetheless, at the moment that I told her about that she could have an abortion, she just reached out and asked me earnestly, you know, please just tell me one thing. If I have an abortion, am I killing my baby? And I was like, oh, wow, shoot. 
isn't that the question? Mm -hmm. And I was conflicted in my own mind about that. Right. So I said to her, you will be um, terminating the product of your conception. And she looked confused, as she should. It was meant to be gymnastics, mm -hmm. semantic gymnastics. Right. And she scheduled an abortion. Were you taught to use those other words? Or was it something you just knew? It was the product of your, uh, the product of your conception. Yeah. I was, I was given that phrase. Okay. I wasn't okay. told you have to use this, but I just kind of learned over time that that was a way of softening it sure. for the woman. Makes sense. So it wasn't meant to trick her into having an abortion. It was meant as a compassionate way yes. to make it easier for her to make the choice that I saw as being best for her. Absolutely. And that's what makes it so tricky. It does. Is that I really thought I was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I really was doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, I absolutely believe that abortion in almost every case was the best option for a woman. And so what changed that mindset? How, how did you start having that mindset really kind of flip? It was slow over time. I mean, first I would have to say that there was an inbred kind of dissonance that was going on and whether that just be my rational mind saying this argument about it not being a life is silly. So there was always that it didn't rationally match up. That was always bugging me. I'm always seeking to make things, to, to have things make some kind of sense. So I, I felt like I was that dissonance, that intellectual dissonance. And, was and did this me. young woman cause a heightened yes. dissonance? Yes, that's a really good, that's absolutely true. Okay. Because all of a sudden I said it and I said it to somebody. I mean, I'm a social worker and I have a code of ethics, right? which is about self-determination, but it's also like, you know, you don't lie to people. Right. And I owed her the truth. I was the professional in the room. I was the adult in the room. And so the, the stress it put on my value system yes. was really high. And even though I'd kind of carried around this um, justification in my mind, all of a sudden I had to say it. And it was bumping up against my own dissonance and my own professional standards that I took seriously. So I would say that it heightened the dissonance. Yes. As a matter of fact, working at Planned Parenthood heightened the dissonance um, through through many different things that happened just being there. Yeah. So it was a slow process of me just paying attention to the reality that was going on around me. Um, things such as the nurse coming in and she'd been in the abortion industry for a long time, like a wonderful woman, Yes. like a self-sacrificing, beautiful woman. And I was friends with her and she came up and wanted to talk to me. And she was like, I don't know why I'm so upset today, Linda, but I've been doing this for years, but today I just saw a little hand and it's bothering me. Yeah. And sitting knee to knee with her and being like, it's okay, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? Crying together, knee to knee, women holding hands, underpaid women in yes. the middle of this like box called Planned Parenthood saying, we're doing the right thing, we're helping women, we're helping girls. Yeah. But feeling stressed about it, I mean, yeah. nobody's walking around feeling, I mean, maybe there's some people, but not, not in my experience really excited about abortions. Everybody knows something sad is going on, but right. it seems sad but necessary. Yeah. Was there um, was there a specific turning point that made you step away from Planned Parenthood? I wouldn't say it's a moment in time. I when I talk about it, you know, Paul was knocked off of his proverbial horse, right, and had this yeah. turned on a dime. For me, it wasn't turning on a dime at all. It was a slow drip, okay, of watching things around me, and well, and. Uh, <laughs> The slow drip of, um, you know, got 
God knows us all. He knit us in our mother's womb, right? Yes. So God knows me, and if anything would have turned me on a dime, I would have been skeptical about it. <laughs> I'd like, I don't trust this. It would have to, right. I'd, I'd have to adjust myself accordingly. So during this time when I was working at Planned Parenthood, living with my boyfriend, um, n- definitely not living at all a virtuous or a Catholic life, let's say. A happy mm-hmm. life. I was a happy person. Sure. But nonetheless, I was, I wasn't living, um, I wasn't, I wasn't living a, a, a very healthy lifestyle, if you will. Right. And the other thing I think that's important for people to know is that I didn't know any Christians. I didn't know any Catholics. None. Zero. Zip. I didn't talk. The, the only way I used the word God for a good eight to ten years of my life was theoretically as a concept. I knew no Christians. None. Yeah. I didn't know anybody who was religious. None. Yep. And so in the midst of this environment with really good people, people that are doing really great social justice work. For sure. Helping poor people, taking really cruddy jobs so that they can help poor people. That was the people I hung out with. That is virtuous stuff. Yeah. So in the midst of all of it, I just didn't have any context for God. Right. And I think it's interesting. You know, this is actually one of my favorite topics, and that is that along the faith journey, you know, we have to have brothers and sisters in Christ yes. who will journey with yes. us. And yet if we don't have those people in our life, it is, it's very hard to find our faith oftentimes because who brings us the good news if it's not other people? And that's, that's, that's so true in my case. And as I, as I get into maybe later on a little bit more of how my conversion occurred, it was through other people but also because I was so isolated from anything having to do with religion, I have to say I do believe the fact that I was brought up in a household, a Catholic household, really helped. And I, and I want to give hope to people in this way as, as droves of people watch their kids fall away from the faith, like whatever, I did it. I mean, that's kind of, it, it probably will happen right? as, as people test this. But, but being brought up in the waters, being seeped like a tea bag in the idea that there was something beyond me so that my brain could be bred to believe was a huge thing. And also, I I do think that the sacraments, I think baptism made me a little bit more receptive. Yes. And I had this history to lean on. So even though it was a lukewarm Catholic, I think the fact that I was brought up Catholic really ended up completely being a huge part of of my conversion because I was already predisposed predisposed i like that and I, and i'm going to affirm that fully because uh, as you know my personal story i also was brought up in a lukewarm catholic family but a catholic family yeah. i knew that there was a god yes i knew that we were supposed to believe in that god yeah i i knew that there was a church that we should go to more regularly but i we just didn't you know we were those lukewarm Catholics, yeah, the seeds were planted. Yeah, and that makes a big difference. It I have does. so many friends right now who say, I want to, I want to believe, but I can't. Yes. And I think about that. I'm I like, have similar friends. I hope they're listening. <laughs> yeah. And I, but, and I understand that there's, there's times where I'm like, you know, faith is a struggle for me. I mean, we go, it isn't like, I'm like, I believe all the time, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm always asking questions, but it's for like, sure. I've got some foundation So I believe that it's possible for everybody, but I definitely felt like it was easier for me because the grooves were already um, sort of embedded embedded in me from childhood. No, I agree. I think on this, uh, it's a good time for another break. So 
For those of you uh, listening in, we have one more segment to this beautiful witness by Linda Corey. So don't go away. We'll be back after a short commercial break. of life. I'm your host, Letty Medina. If you're just tuning in, I have been with um, Linda Corey, my friend from the seminary, who's been sharing her personal witness about how she went from being a pro-choice young woman to eventually finding her way into the Catholic Church. So this is the part where I want her to share a little bit more about her spiritual conversion. So I would have to say that it began with a, a small query. So I just, I hadn't dealt with the God question in any way except for very um, remotely for a long time. And I remember I was staring out the window and I was thinking to myself, wow, I've accomplished, I'm 29, right? So I was like, oh, I've accomplished everything I want in life. i am got the degree that I wanted. I'm going to go get my doctoral degree. I have a great boyfriend. Um, I'm, I'm exactly in the job I want to be at. This is so great. And I was like, I wonder what is the next thing, you know, I wonder what I haven't touched on. And I remember looking outside and I was like, oh, I haven't really dealt with this spirituality thing. Maybe <laughs> I should check this out. Very logical. <laughs> yeah, just very logical. Like this is a segment of my life. Right. And there's this thing in the book. Um, I'm sure it's come from someplace else, but it's uh, in the book Life of Pi. Where it says you take, you take one step toward God and he just comes running at you. I love that. I love it too. And... I think that that was it. It was just like a teeny tiny opening, it's like a mustard seed, you know. Mm -hmm. And I just started asking questions, and I'd be like, "Hmm, that's interesting." And little things struck me as interesting, such as walking into Planned Parenthood, and I'd see, I'd see the people out there praying the rosary in the morning. So I'd go to Planned Parenthood really early in the morning, and it struck me as crazy because they were young college men praying the rosary at eight o'clock in the morning, which <laughs> was. Uh, was out of this world to me and the mere mm -hmm. fact that like there were boys college age who would wake up one <laughs> to do something it's extraordinary drink beer and like play video games <laughs> right was so weird to me and i'm like wow they really mean something and i liked that yeah it's a and beautiful witness it's, it was a beautiful witness and i'd go out to them and i'd be like hey i mean i'm sure they were kind of weirded out by me but i'd be like hey you keep doing what you're doing and i'm going to keep doing what i'm doing but thanks for doing something because I really meant it. I'm like, you're doing something. Yes. You know, whatever it is, the truth may come Stand out. Stand for what you believe Stand in. Stand for what you believe in. Yes. And like, show up and do it. And so those things made a difference to me. And, and frankly, my life was just really chaotic. Um, it was great in some ways, but it definitely wasn't organized. And anyway, it was, it was, it was, I was happy, but, but I wasn't totally happy. And things were chaotic. And one day I was just walking down the street and there was, there was a church. And I remembered this from my childhood, and I was like, oh, that's like a quiet place. <laughs> I can just go sit there. And I just opened up the doors, and, and I, it felt comfortable because I was, I was like, I kind of felt like I belonged there, like I wasn't an outsider. How beautiful. I know. And I went in, and I just sat there, and I understood it enough. Like, I knew that I had a genuflect, because like, it was like, mm -hmm. almost like a rote reaction. Right. And I even though I didn't mean it, I didn't even know what that was about. I didn't even know what it was about, but I did it, and I sat there, and it was quiet. It was just quiet. Yeah. And I just got some silence. And then, you know, as Catholics, we know, I was sitting in front of the Blessed Sacrament. 
there was just like some woman walking around like sweeping and I was like oh such a nice sound sweeping it was just quiet yes and I just would show up there and I'd go there and you know and God's funny too because it's working on me slowly but in the meantime he knows that I'm me and he has to make things funny and (laughs) it's 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 just it's an ironically funny difficult challenging experience to start to want to become Catholic whilst working at Planned Parenthood. You know, it's not, it, there was just enough stress and dissonance to keep me interested. I'm like, this, this something doesn't belong here. <laughs> and I would, uh, and, and I think it's important for people to know too, that this just, I didn't know anybody else that was Catholic. I was living with my boyfriend and I started to go to daily mass and he'd be like, why are you getting up so early? And it's, I had to lie to him. I'd be like, oh, nothing. I'm just getting coffee. I couldn't let anybody know. It was like it was like a bad, it would have been like naughty. <laughs> and I think this is really important, too, is I just was started going to a daily mass. And it had been so long since I'd been to mass. But I just started to go. Like, I knew what the mass was. I knew the prayers. And this was such a small mass that it was just people sitting in a circle oh, wow. around the priest in the morning at 630 in the morning. And I walked in. But it had been so long since I'd been to mass that it didn't strike me that wearing my Planned Parenthood badge would be like, <laughs> at all controversial. So, like, I walked in, and these people who had been going to Mass forever were just sitting in a circle, and in walks in this, like, funky girl who's wearing a Planned Parenthood thing, and I'm, like, praying. And... <laughs> but what was... But they let me sit there. I love it. They so just beautiful. let me sit there. Like, in some ways, I think what was so important is none of them were, like, proselytizing. They just were, like, hi. Welcome. <laughs> and they just prayed with me, but they gave me space. Amen. They yeah. weren't, like, get... Like, I just needed quiet. Yeah. And this priest would give these 14, excuse me, these like, you know, two minute homilies. Yeah. And they were really smart and they were really insightful, which once again, I mean, it was cognitive dissonance for me. I'm like, this guy's a priest. (laughs) He's a man. He's in the Catholic church, which must hate women. But yet he seems really insightful and smart, which just was contradictory to me. And I found that interesting. And so I, I asked him one time after mass. I was like, can I come talk to you? And he said, sure. How beautiful. He was great. He was like this older man. He just got it. And I'd go in and I'd talk to him. And I mean, he knew my story, but I had a lot of things to talk about. I wasn't just like, I had a lot of, there's a lot of things in my life that were conflicted, but he was Mm -hmm. the first believer. Like he, he obviously believed in stuff, you know, (laughs) and I didn't. And, and he would, he would just hang out with me. How beautiful. it, It was beautiful. He liked me, and he would ask me questions about my life. And after having developed a, a legitimate relationship, uh, in other words, I'd see him once a week, and we actually had a connection. And at one point, because he because he seemed to like me, he just asked me, and I think he meant this because he really meant it sincerely. He said, Linda, I, I don't know how you can be who you are and be pro-choice. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like he was condemning. I felt like he was honestly confused. He was honestly confused how I could be this way. And I just said to him, I'm like, don't go there. Because I couldn't deal with it. Because honestly, if you took pro-choice away from me, you were taking everything away from me. If I were to become, it was going to be inconvenient for me to be Catholic in the first place. You know what I mean? Like this was not like going to be easy for me. And I, I was really looking for any reason to escape, any escape valve. I'm like because I was going to, if I was going to become Catholic, like everything was going to have to change. And I was all alone. Right. I didn't right. have anybody who was like walking with me. So like, that was too big of a question. And I, I almost wonder, I mean, I have no idea, but I almost wonder if it was the Holy spirit that was like, just don't go there. Cause I couldn't deal 
I, I mean, like, I was too weak right. to deal with the very foundation of who I was to be ripped away. I mean, I was like a baby. Right. And so when I said, don't go there, and you know what? He didn't. Yeah. He just backed off. And he was like, okay. Yeah. And we talked about, like, the millions of other problems I had. Yes. Like, being, <laughs> being pro-choice was just one in a million. He met you where you were at. Totally met me where I was at. But didn't, that didn't mean that he was going to be comfortable always just leaving me where I was at. Right. He was going to walk with me. But I think that that took a tremendous amount of humility and faith on his part because I know he prayed for me. Yes, and no he, doubt. He didn't break his relationship with me. Yeah. And it wasn't like my conversion to what, to full Catholicism was a condition of our relationship. Exactly. So he kept the relationship. And that was like an anchor for me. He was like the one Catholic person I knew. That was it. What a gift. That, what a gift. Yeah. So it was this slow. And then sooner or later I got, you know, I had my first confession in 20 years and Beautiful. had to figure out how to do that. So it was this long, long excursion. But I will say that the things that attracted me to the church was its, its utter consistency across time. And that was very, very, very helpful to me. I like that. Yeah. When did you um, come to the understanding that you needed healing from the abortion? That's an interesting thing, too, because I literally felt nothing for 11 years. And I was standing in my mom's kitchen one day. And just like that moment where I thought, I can... I can have an abortion and all the, all the stress went away. I also had a moment that was in my mom's kitchen. I had an abortion and it all flooded down on me. Mm. And I had a panic attack. I didn't know what to do. Went into the basement. I was scared. And, you know, having a therapy background, I knew what was going on. I'm like, you're having a panic attack. Mm -hmm. But it didn't help. I found myself uh, going to Project Rachel having to reach out to get help myself. And that, that took a long time as well. And this happened, um, this happened before I had become committed to being pro-life. I, I kind of just left it on the fence. Like I was becoming Catholic again. I was kind of getting into, but I kind of kept leaving the, the, the pro-choice pro-life question aside. Cause I was, I was stitching together the fabric of the whole, the whole teaching. Mm -hmm. And after having to start to deal with my own abortion, which could be a whole radio show because that's, yeah, that's hard. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's very hard work. It's, it's, it's almost impossible work. You, you can't, you can't feel healed entirely from that, but you can be forgiven. Amen. Right. Yep. Cause that's what Jesus does. So I feel forgiven. I don't know if I, I don't feel like it's a gaping wound. That's why I can talk about it. Yes. But, um, and it'll forever be with me, which is fine. Yeah. I chose it's it. Part of I your carry story. it. Yeah. Yep. I chose it and I carry it. Yeah. But I do think that to kind of switch gears for a minute, because we have only a little bit of time left, I, I do want to include the fact that it was very hard. Becoming Catholic was hard. And becoming pro-life in the midst of that was even was even harder. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're part and parcel, right? They go together. But yeah. I had to 
go in front of people who admired me, people who liked me. I was involved in an academic community and I had to tell them that I was, that I was pro-life and that's anathema in that situation because all of a sudden if you're pro-life you're anti-woman you're religious zealot you're anti-intellectual yeah it's also incredibly ironic like all those things i thought before yeah and i lost all credibility and it took great courage and great humility yeah and it's still hard i still don't like how it feels mm -hmm. i don't like how it feels it doesn't mean i can't carry it but i'm not like i don't care what they think i do care what they think yeah and it stings yeah. um but i can survive it it doesn't mean i'm comfortable with any of it. As a matter of fact, I can remember this time period where I was trying to figure out a way to be closet pro-life. <laughs> I'm like, I can be, I can be really pro-life, but just like, but that obviously that plan didn't work out. Very Did well. not work out. And yeah. that's why you're on the air with me today. <laughs> that's right. That's why I'm on radio. Because God's funny. That's like, no, I'll give you your way here, but I'm going to totally not give you your way here. So I do want to let people know that that was not an easy transition. It was humiliating. Yeah. It took a lot of humility, but that, that's not an easy thing to do. But as I sit here talking with you, I mean, I'm not an entirely different person now than I was. Back in my, I'm still the same person. I'm still Linda, a good-hearted, compassionate person yes. trying to do the right thing. That's who I was when I worked at Planned Parenthood. I'm not a fundamentally different person. There's some things about me that are different entirely. Yeah. My framework is different. My understanding is different, but I'm not a different person. I was never like, oh, I'm, I'm pro-choice because I want to kill babies and I want the downfall of the nuclear family and I want to take down you know, everything good in the world so I can be a hedonist. I mean, none no. of that was true. Of course not. What was true was that I really wanted to help women, and I believed this lie right. that this was a way to help women. Right. So I really want to encourage people that I, I needed patience. The only pro-life people that I knew, I didn't know any, but they were the ones that went, except for the, the praying rosary people, when I would walk <laughs> into Planned Parenthood, there were some really aggressive people, and it just sure. made me, I'm like, you don't know me. Right. Like, I'm, like, they didn't know. No, they didn't. They didn't know, and, and it, it almost like... Being, being yelled at, it, it's, it's an understandable response to get defensive. For I mean, sure. like, it's, a, it's, a, it's honestly, it's a survival response. Like, mm -hmm. it would be not natural <laughs> and of the natural order to respond to somebody yelling you with a sense of, like, peace and, you know, mental receptivity. Like, you can't. Our bodies are not built that way. Right. God did not create us this way. But the patience of the relationships, and, and I also believe the people that, all, all the millions of people that pray for people like me, that, that made me more receptive to this grace. I mean, I don't know what made a difference, mm -hmm. but I can say that I'm so glad for the people that were patient yes. with me and that I didn't feel, I didn't, I didn't feel judged. Exactly. I felt taken for who I was. And the thing is, it took a long time, yeah. but the Holy Spirit is, you know, active and active and alive yes and continues to work in an individual way and that's where prayer is so important absolutely and you know i kind of um think that they showed that very beautifully in the movie unplanned yeah where the people she turned to when she finally started yeah really needing help were those that would come and that were patient and kind and consistently showed that they would be open to helping another person in need. And I, and I would imagine it's because those people themselves have seen their own, 
their own sin and their own ways that they needed help too. Absolutely. And it's not that much different. We're all like, you know, yes, we're all children of God. And that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the show. Because when I heard your story the first time, I was deeply touched by your sensitivity uh, regarding how we have to be very cautious about not judging those on the other side of this issue. They're good people too, who truly believe what they're doing is the right thing, just as you believed. Right. And it, yeah. and, and it is objectively the wrong thing, but to move somebody from one place to another, I mean, we wish, I mean, as a parent, I really wish I could tell my kid, you know, don't go on the roof because you might fall off. But you know what? I mean, like, Sometimes they just go on the roof <laughs> and no matter what I do, I mean, can, getting, getting people to do what you want them to do is, is, is not, you can't have this fantasy idea that the argument is going to be what gets them there. It doesn't. Yeah. The logic doesn't even get them there. It's the relationship that gets Their them. The relationship. And that to me is a beautiful way to bring this to a close is that we are called to be witnesses to one another, to be brothers and sisters to one another, to love one another to journey together along this journey of life, this journey towards the kingdom of God. And if we're so busy judging and screaming at others who don't agree with us, we're not going to be very effective, like you had said earlier. Right. You know, Are you effective in sharing the good news or in sharing the truth of what our Lord calls us to? And we're not if we're not being compassionate and humble. and Which is long work. I think that the, in order to be effective... Unfortunately, you don't get to see sometimes the fruit of your efforts. And that's where real faith and real humility comes in, which is chances are you're not going to see that person change their mind. It's, it's the same thing, I think, with like parenting in some ways. You will not see the fruit until much, much later on. Exactly. And so I think that this, this route, although painstakingly long, is actually effective, but it's it can feel kind of thankless. Yes. And then, then that gets into the spiritual work of, of, of humility and patience and really letting the Holy Spirit do stuff. Amen. Well, it's hard to believe that our hour is already up. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this beautiful witness from Dr. Linda Corey. And I also hope you'll remember to listen to us each month on 88.5 FM radio. My past shows can be found online by searching Letty Medina and Fullness of Life. Until we meet again, I'm wishing you all His Fullness of Life. Bye, everyone.